Located at the top of Wisconsin, Bayfield County is considered by many of the locals to be the wild side of the dairy state. This is a place of majestic beauty with national treasures that include the Apostle Islands, the natural wonders of its sea caves, and rugged sandstone cliffs that frame the clear waters of Lake Superior. This is Bayfield County Wild. Hello everyone, I'm Nancy Christopher. And I'm Mary Motif with Bayfield County Tourism. We're gonna give you the inside scoop on some of the amazing things that you can see and do here at the top of Wisconsin. You know, Mary, we talk a lot about Bayfield County's natural beauty and how to enjoy it, but there's also lots of rich history that folks have done a great job of preserving. In fact, Bayfield County has more museums per capita than most of America. So how many museums are there, Mary, and why so many per capita? It's true. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe. We have, I want to say it's the sixth most museums per capita in the United States. And that was from a Washington Post article with data from the Institute of Museum and Library Services. And it is true that not only are there 16 museums in Bayfield County, but our population is fairly low. And so when you average that out to um, the per capita, that puts us literally at number six in the nation. And so what people don't realize is just how many museums there are in this country, really. And the title of the article was, there are more museums in the U.S. than there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined. Now that's hard to believe. (laughs) I know, but they're everywhere. And a lot of them are these small community museums that preserve the history of that specific community. And and like I said, we have 16 of them. And it really is interesting to see all the different museums and what history they're trying to preserve. So what types of museums can you visit here? Sure. So um, there are museums that are just literally part of a library. So the Drummond Area Museum is combined with their library in that building all the way up to the State Historical Society Museum. There's a Madeline Island Museum through the State Historical Society, and then they also have history archives and exhibits at the Northern Great Lakes Visitor Center. And then some of them are like in the Washburn area. The museum is located in a a historic building itself. It's the old bank building, which is a beautiful old brownstone building. You can't miss it when you're coming into Washburn. And that is the whole second floor of that building is the the Washburn Area Museum. There's the Western Bayfield County Museum, which is in Iron River, right downtown. There is a museum in the Mason area that's actually an old train depot that has been converted into a museum. And then there's the Green Shed Museum, which is right on the harbor in Cornucopia. And and that really highlights the fishing history of the area. What about logging? And lots of logging. Yeah. Drummond area has a big focus on logging. And then a lot of the museums do touch on that because logging was huge throughout this whole area. Cable Namakagan has a museum and Ulu has an award-winning, it's not a museum, but it's it's like a historic village that they've put together. So they took these historic structures and brought them all to one location and kind of set it up into a little village. And um, they won an award from the Wisconsin Historical Society um, just a couple of years ago for their work with that. And they have a huge amount of volunteers that are just so invested in the history of the area and trying to tell that story. It's just an awesome, awesome place to go and visit. And if you're a history buff, there is so much to learn in this area and um, lots of places to go to find out about it. Now, my understanding is you can find many of the museums along the scenic byway. Can you tell us more about the byway? 
Sure. Actually, the scenic byway, a lot of people think of a scenic byway because of its scenic beauty, you know, and lots of pretty places to look at along the way. But what makes something able to get the designation of a scenic byway is not just the scenic beauty, but also the natural, cultural, historic, geological history of the region and and the richness of that culture. So there are a number of these museums that are in, in historic sites that are off of the byway. And it doesn't have to be right on the highway to be, you know, a feature of the scenic byway. It's things that are in the area that you can get to from the byway. And so there are some historic markers along the scenic byway as well, along with the the museums. And, and I know that there's a new one in the works in the town of Bayview, where many people stop and enjoy the beach in the town of Bayview, which is between Washburn and Bayfield. There is a little historic depot ticket booth that they have restored and and put in place and now they're working on another part of that with another part of the depot building I think that they're going to bring over and put along with that so and have some interpretive signage there so um, you know it just permeates throughout the area you know the the history you'll just happen upon it sometimes with interpretive signage along the lakeshore walking path in Washburn there's a beautiful lakeshore walking path and Um, occasionally you'll see an interpretive sign that talks about some of that history. There used to be a ferry, actually, that left from Washburn and took people out for boat rides. You know, some of us that that live in Washburn wish that we still had that. That would be really fantastic. Yeah, that would be nice. We should also mention that uh, there are 22 historic sites to visit on the National Register of Historic Places. What can you tell us about them? So the National Register of Historic Places, you can just Google that and, and then search for Bayfield County in Wisconsin, and you'll see the list of those historic places. And so it's more buildings, I would say, so sites rather than like a museum. And so everything from the Apostle Islands Lighthouses are on that list to that bank building in Washburn that I talked about, to the county courthouse, the state fish hatchery. There's a whole historic district um, in Bayfield and also in Washburn. I mean, there's 22 of them. So just take a look at that list and you'll see the the range of things that are on that list. And those are more things for people who are really interested in architecture, I would say, and like the brownstone buildings, the history right. there with the quarries in the area and all that brownstone that came from this area that ended up in these beautiful buildings down in Chicago and Milwaukee and out east in New York. Right. There's also seven shipwrecks. What's significant about them? Well, the history there is unbelievable. You know, a shipwreck is a historic event in and of itself. And then to be able to come and actually see some of these shipwrecks is a pretty amazing opportunity. And um, that's one of the So they're not underwater? You can see them or? They are underwater and you can see them. And the way that you can do that is um, for some of them at least. So some of them you can see if you go on a kayaking trip, there are some of the shipwrecks that are literally so close to the surface of the water that you can look down and see them. And because the water is so clear and um, such good quality, you generally can really see them well, um, unless it's just been a big storm or something and, and there's more turbidity in the water. The same thing would go for um, the cruise service does specific cruises that are shipwreck tours and they have a glass bottom boat and not the whole bottom of the boat is glass, but they have a big viewing area in the middle. And so you can take a shipwreck cruise and they take you out over some of these shipwrecks that you can see just from standing right in the boat. 
That would be fun. It's really cool. So how can we learn more about these museums and historic sites? So we have information on our website. We also have a brochure that the Bayfield County Historic Society has put together that lists all of their member organizations in there with you know the locations of them and information about them. And we have that brochure available. You can order it on our website. So if you just go to travelbayfieldcounty.com and go to request information is one of the little tabs on the side. And then you get a whole list of things that you can click on. And that's one of them. And um, it's becoming one of our most popular items being requested now that we've put that on the website. And that's a relatively new brochure. So thanks, Mary. Great stuff. So coming up next, our guest today probably knows more about the area's natural history than most. We're going to chat with naturalist Emily Stone about what she does and why it's so important. Whether you're planning a wedding, corporate retreat, family reunion, or a weekend getaway, now there's a place that can host it all on the beautiful shores of Lake Superior with gorgeous views of Shawamagun Bay. The Harborview Event Center is the perfect place to host a memorable experience of any type of event or celebration. Relax next door at the newly remodeled Washburn Inn and plan your next event at the Harborview Event Center. Visit both online at washburnin.com. Wine, dine, and recline at Barnes Trading Post and Wilderness Inn. This historic property in the town of Barnes began in 1888 and is now a getaway for all seasons. Fishing, hiking, swimming, water skiing, picking wild berries in the summer months, plus hunting, snowmobiling, and ice fishing during the winter months. Relax in any of eight Northwoods-themed suites and enjoy the great company at the bar, which also serves wonderful food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Stop by when you're in the area or make reservations at BarnesTradingPost.com. Welcome back. The dictionary tells us that a naturalist is a type of biologist who studies the impacts of living things on each other and the environments in which they live. Here to tell us more about that is a naturalist herself, Emily Stone. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks for inviting me. So how would you describe what a naturalist does? A naturalist is a, is a pretty general job title for anyone to take on, but they tend to observe and learn about the natural world. And specifically, they tend to be interested in the relationships and connections between different types of living things. You know, an ichthyologist would study fish particularly, but a naturalist is really looking at everything in their environment and all of the connections between them. And most naturalists tend to want to share what they learn as well and have a component of either teaching or writing about what they've learned. So you're a storyteller as well. Absolutely. In your bio, it says you were a mud and water daughter. Tell us more about that. Well, as a kid, I loved playing in mud puddles. So I was <laughs> outdoors all summer in my flip-flops or barefoot running the hose into the hole that I dug in the sandbox all the way down <laughs> to the mud, squishing my toes around in it and uh, making the most beautiful mud pies you've ever seen. And when I went to Girl Scout camp, we also did something called crick stomping, which is fabulous. You wear your old tennis shoes and you just walk up a crick looking for rocks and crawdads and dragonfly nymphs and whatever else you can find. 
maybe I'm a naturalist too, because I used to love doing that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. The thing is, anyone can be a naturalist. And the, the history of people being amateur naturalists is long and rich. Most people aren't professional naturalists. It's something that anyone can do. What is your background? When I was thinking about college back at the end of high school, my mom found a, a college catalog that had a page about Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. And it talked all about how it was on Lake Superior, how your freshman orientation could be a canoe trip. And there was this major called outdoor education. And I had never heard of that before, but I was pretty sure that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I went to Northland College and I majored in outdoor education with an emphasis in natural history. And I also minored in geology which was fantastic. So I learned a lot about identifying plants, especially woody plants, trees, and shrubs, and I also learned a lot about rocks. And together, those two things make up a lot of the connections that we have in our natural world. So after I graduated from Northland College, I was a seasonal naturalist for about five years, and I traveled back and forth across the country uh, working for three to four months at a time in different beautiful places, teaching people about nature in beautiful places. And then I went to graduate school. So I actually have a master's in the field naturalist program from the University of Vermont. So even though the history of naturalists um, starting off as amateurs is long and rich, I do actually have a master's in being a naturalist. What's your favorite part about being a naturalist? My favorite part about being a naturalist is being able to tell the stories of nature. I was a voracious reader as a kid, Laura Ingalls Wilder and Anne of Green Gables, and at some point I realized that nature actually has even better stories than anything a human can come up with. Uh, We just need the scientists to interpret those stories so that we can then share them with everyone and get everyone excited about how cool nature is and the drama that unfolds when you know enough. And then the other part of that is that I really love when I'm able to teach about something that is kind of old hat to me that I've learned about a long time ago and repeated often enough, but I see a new person be really amazed by nature. Just watching that sense of wonder unfold across their face is the best reward I could have. Do you even have an office? Where do you do your work? (laughs) Yeah, I I have an office. I spend too much time there, unfortunately, like most of us. Um, I am the naturalist and education director at the Cable Natural History Museum down in Cable, Wisconsin. It's a tiny little town of about 800 people in the middle of the Shawamigan Nicolay National Forest. And so I live in a beautiful natural setting. And this little small time natural history museum is really a gem and really a significant part of the community. You know, with all the natural beauty in Bayfield County, it must really be fun and exciting to be a naturalist here. It is. I mean, as a naturalist, uh, it's kind of your job to find something fun and exciting no matter where you are. But in Bayfield, it's actually pretty easy. The glacial history here, the bogs and the cool plants and all of the protected area, you know, the county forests and the national forests and the state parks, all of that means that there's really a lot of cool places to explore and neat things to learn about. How do you share that with people? Do you write about it? 
Yeah, so one of the most challenging things about being a naturalist up here, kind of in the middle of nowhere, is that throughout most of the winter, we hardly have any visitors coming through at all. And so I end up kind of having all of this pent-up excitement about <laughs> natural history and no one to tell it to. And so my outlet is a weekly newspaper column that I write called Natural Connections. And it's published in more than a dozen um, little newspapers across the state of Wisconsin and even um, a few in Minnesota too. And each of my columns is only about a thousand word personal essay about going out in nature and bringing you out with me. So I go out on my snowshoes or my skis or my canoe or even just hiking or on my bike. You know, I do it all and I try and bring you with me. And then together we discover something kind of interesting. And maybe it's not something you would normally think is interesting. But my goal is to get you to think that it's pretty exciting and help you see how it fits into the greater landscape. And, you know, one thing I've noticed about your column is that you help us notice things that we wouldn't normally notice. Yes, that is my goal. So I'm glad that you think that. And you know, actually, having a deadline every week makes me notice things that I wouldn't otherwise <laughs> notice or get excited about too, because I have to find something to write about, even if it's just a spider in my basement stairway, I can connect that to natural history too. Nice. Oh, wow. So give me an example. What's kind of a fun story you could tell me real quick? <laughs> well, um, last spring I was out on a nature walk looking at spring wildflowers. So that is something that most people would think is pretty exciting. It was mid-May and just beautiful. The spring beauties were carpeting the forest floor and I walked up to one and I spotted a pale yellow crab spider hiding on the blossom. And what's cool about crab spiders is they can actually change their color to be either more white or more yellow to blend in on the flower that they're hiding on at the time. And as I looked down at this crab spider, I was like, oh, she is waiting for one of those early spring bees to capture and eat. And then I looked closer and she, the crab spider actually had an early spring bee in her clutches that she was injecting with her venom and turned into oh, wow. a little bee smoothie. So, wow. you know, the stories <laughs> you can find in nature just by looking closer are pretty incredible. And most people would have just walked by that patch of flowers and said, ooh, pretty flowers. But here's this drama of a color-shifting villain attacking a hard-working <laughs> single mother. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just finished writing a book. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually my second book, and both of them are called Natural Connections is the main title. The second one, the subtitle is Dreaming of an Elfin Skimmer, and they are compilations of my weekly newspaper columns. So we chose my best articles and arranged them in phenological order, which means by season. Um, so the snow arrives and melts in an orderly fashion within the chapters, even though the articles were written written in different years. And what's really fun for me about the books is that we crowdsourced the artwork. I really wanted to have a black and white line drawing at the start of every chapter, just like Aldo Leopold or Sigurd Olsen did, but I'm not an artist. So I ran an art contest for kids. And so I have everything from age five little scribbles of grasshoppers and things in my <laughs> book, all the way up to, you know, my sister-in-law and my cousin and local professional artists who also 
filled in for the the chapters that kids didn't get to. So it's really entertaining to look at the, the wide range of artwork in the book. And it was also really satisfying because I heard a lot of feedback from the artists that it made them learn about something that they hadn't known about before. And it also gave a lot of adults who'd kind of given up being artists a chance to, to get back to it and to see how fun it is to draw when they actually have a purpose. Can I ask you, in the title of your book, what is an elfin skimmer? Mm. An elfin skimmer is one of the smallest dragonflies in northern Wisconsin. So it's this delicate little pale blue dragonfly that lives in fens. And fens are a type of wetland similar to a bog that have these tiny magical little reflecting pools among carpets of mosses and grass and flowers. So they really captured my attention. Um, You know, their name is very fanciful and that's the type of of book and world that I lived in when I was a little kid but then it's actually science like this is a real species and we went out and found one in the name of science and preserved it in the museum's collections um, so that we have a record of it being here in Bayfield County forevermore. Well, that was a great segue because I wanted to ask you to tell me a little bit more about where you work, the Cable Natural History Museum. Yeah, well, the Cable Natural History Museum, we have a really beautiful building. It was new about 10 years ago, so a great space to be in. And as a museum, as a natural history museum, kind of our main mission is our collections, our specimens. I I just call it our dead stuff. You know, we, <laughs> we have a whole room, our collections room, climate controlled, full of taxidermied mounts of of lots of native species from northern Wisconsin. We really focus on the northern Wisconsin species, but we have deer and ducks and owls and small mammals and all sorts of, of wonderful animals that you can get a really good look at and they won't run away and they won't try and bite you. <laughs> hey, so, do you have any of those fluorescent flying squirrels? We do! <laughs> yes! We do. So we actually had a flying squirrel in our salvage freezer, which is <laughs> code for roadkill. Um <laughs> <laughs> and our curator, Molly Krebb, who's also a Northland graduate, she got excited about what the professors at Northland College discovered. So she quick made a study skin of that flying squirrel and then brought in a black light and it actually did fluoresce, which was so cool. That is very cool. I don't know if you heard anything about that, Nancy, but it's no. kind of a big deal. Yeah, Northland College got written up in Outside Magazine and National Geographic with the National Science Foundation. It was a big deal. They discovered that flying squirrels fluoresce in black light, in UV light, and they don't know why. Well, that so, is interesting. Yeah. Google it. You'll, you'll find all, all sorts of fun squirrels. images. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Emily, years back, there was someone who actually did a book about roadkill. Everything was roadkill in the book, pictures, mm-hmm. what have you. Is that something a naturalist <laughs> would do too? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Naturalists have really strange and interesting hobbies, oftentimes, that they combine with being a naturalist. So, yeah, photographing roadkill is absolutely something a naturalist <laughs> would do. And actually, it's something that a PhD scientist would do, too. There is a wonderful science teacher down in the Winter School District, Winter, Wisconsin, and she did her PhD work on roadkill snakes in Panama and found species that they hadn't recorded there ever or in a long time and discovered lots of new science just by finding the things that got run over on the road. Hey, that sounds like a great program to do in the summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What kind of programs are you going to do this summer? 
So at the Cable Natural History Museum, we have almost 200 public programs every year. Our first big event this spring is May 25th. That's a Saturday, and that is our grand opening for our new exhibit. So in addition to having our our specimen cases with dead stuff around the museum, every spring we build a new main exhibit. And so this year, our main exhibit is called Pollinator Power, and it's all about birds, butterflies, bees, bees, wasps, beetles, flies, and moths who do the pollination in the Northwoods. And we also have another exciting new exhibit coming in. This is unusual. We have what's called a Curiosity Center Kids Area. And this year, we are having a brand new Curiosity Center professionally built and installed. So it's going to be incredible. So May 25th is the grand opening for that. And there is a two-story tree that you can climb up the inside. And if you go out on one branch, you get to the slide and the climbing wall. And if you go out to the other branch, you get to a bird's nest where you can launch a flying squirrel on a zip line. <laughs> After our, our grand opening of our exhibit, then our summer really gears up in June, and we always host a master naturalist training. And then throughout the summer, we have master naturalist advanced trainings. And these are open to anyone, not just certified Wisconsin master naturalists, but it's a really cool program where folks who are interested in natural history can get some really awesome um, high-level training and then become uh, much-needed volunteers for nonprofits and agencies who need help with education and also land management and citizen science. You have to be a certain age for that? No, our master naturalists are anywhere from college age interns all the way up to um, retirees who are still feeling spry. So it's a really cool program in that it is so intergenerational. And then July 27th is another big day for the museum. That's our summer benefit. And so it's a big party. We think it's probably the biggest party of the year in the little town of Cable, Wisconsin. But a fun dinner, live music, auction, and just a great time. This summer, I'm also doing some new programs. I'm giving three talks at Patterson State Park and Amnican State Park on Saturdays, one Saturday a month in June, July, and August. And we also have our standard summer programming. So we always have a really fun junior naturalist day camp. We do a story time with our local bookstore, Redberry Books, and have lots of other cool lecture series and family programs for people of all ages at the museum. And then don't you also have some programming up at the Northern Great Lakes Visitor Center? We do have um, programming up at the Northern Great Lakes Visitor Center. That's mostly during the cold season. Aha. So those those programs, um, neither of us have time for them um, except for like October through April. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yep. you're going to be a very busy girl this summer. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're telling me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I and already that's am. an awful lot to remember. So if people wanted to follow up and learn more, where should they go? Our website is cablemuseum.org and at the very top of the front page you can sign up for our weekly email newsletter if you'd like and with that you get a reminder of all our upcoming programs you get our program calendar as soon as it's finalized and you also get um, my weekly newspaper column as well as uh, blogs written by my co-workers who take care of our dead stuff our collection so Molly <laughs> our curator writes one and then Haley our naturalist also takes care of our 
living collections. So we don't just have dead collections. We also have two live education birds. So we have red-tailed hawk and an American kestrel. And then we have two snakes and a salamander. And so all of those animals do public programs throughout the summer and for, for groups and stuff too. So Haley writes about the, the care and the antics of those critters in her blog. Yeah, I'm happy to hear about that because you get pretty excited about dead stuff. <laughs> yes, I also like live stuff. Um, and, and then you have a good. Facebook page too, right? Yep, yep. So the museum has a Facebook page. It's just the Cable Natural History Museum. We're also on Instagram, cable.natural.history.museum. I believe. Um, we're going to be on Pinterest and Yelp and TripAdvisor too, if you really want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Emily. We really appreciate you taking the trip all the way from Southern Bayfield County to visit with us. Yeah, well, it was wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. And coming up next, Mary is going to highlight the fun adventures happening in May, so don't go away. Winfield Inn & Gardens is the perfect place to stay during your next Bayfield County family vacation. The Winfield Inn & Gardens offers guests breathtaking flower gardens, a spectacular view of Lake Superior, and all the nearby attractions and events in Bayfield. Winfield Inn & Gardens has a wide range of lodging choices, from rooms at the Inn on Lake Superior, four-bedroom studio condos, two- to four-bedroom private homes, and everything in between. So if you're looking for cabins in the woods or homes and condos with views of the Apostle Islands, Winfield Inn offers lodging for couples looking for a romantic getaway or families just looking to head out for a vacation. Winfield Inn has just what you need. Visit Winfield Inn and Gardens online at winfieldinn.com. Welcome back to Bayfield County Wild. Mary, I know there was one other thing you wanted to mention about the Cable Natural History Museum. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about how it has such a great little gift shop at the museum. It's amazing how many things they have in this in this little area in the gift shop. And it's run by a volunteer coordinator. And of course, the benefits go to help support the museum. But they have all sorts of fun things for kids. And then they have a new line of environmentally friendly items for um, adults as well. So just be sure to check out the gift shop if you go. All right, very good. So what should we put on our calendars to do in May? Okay, so here we go. We're revving up with lots of events starting in May. It starts off with the Hauser's Red Barn Plant Sale, and that actually goes all month long. And that's where you can get bare root plants. So if you want to get local, great, hardy plants for your gardens, come and do that up at Hauser's. That's not really an event per se, but it kind of is an event for us because everyone gets excited about greenhouses and planting in the spring. There's a race called the Hungry Bear 100 down in Cable. There's a talk called Damn It, Why Beavers Matter <laughs> at the Northern Great Lakes Visitor Center, which actually the guy became famous after, the, after he agreed to come and do this talk at the Visitor Center. His book, has done really, really well. And his research on beavers and how to deal with beavers, because they really are an issue in a lot of places. And so he, he has some solutions of how to deal with beavers. And then there's an event called Eat, Drink, Washburn that starts in May. And it That's encourages... Right. It encourages you to get out and support those restaurants in, in the springtime when things are still a little bit slow and they have special deals to get you out and excited about coming to try new things at their restaurants and uh, other venues. Of course, the Schwamigan Bay Birding and Nature Festival happens in mid-May. That's the 16th through the 18th. And that is just such a great festival. I can't even tell you how awesome that is. Yeah, we talked about that in our last episode. That's it's really cool. great. And then the Cable Natural History Museum's grand opening is on the 25th. And the Port Wing Saturday Market gets started. That's every Saturday starting uh, May 25th 
through early October. And um, so many more things are happening too. So, you know, be sure to check out our Facebook page and our website for lots more events happening in May. Wow, that is a lot going on. Is there anything else we should know about? Oh, I forgot to tell you, the Apostle Islands cruises begin in May. So a lot of the water, yeah, a lot of the water recreation starts happening again in May. So that's really exciting. And they have a brand new vessel that is really cool looking and it goes really fast and it's really quiet and it's awesome. I would highly recommend taking a cruise on that. That's great. I really love this time of year. So what are we going to talk about next month, Mary? So next month, speaking about getting out on the water, we're going to talk about sailing. And this, this is, is a beautiful area to sail in. It's a world-class destination exactly. for sailing. So so we're going to talk about that. And then um, we're also going to talk with uh, Tim Landgren from the Northern Pines Golf Course. Excellent. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Mary. That's going to be fun. Yes, I can't wait. And to everyone listening, if you like what you've heard today, we'd love your support. Please take a moment to share, review, and subscribe to Bayfield County Wild. If there's anything you'd like to know about today's episode, we'll have the links and resources available in our show notes. And on behalf of Mary and myself, thank you for listening to Bayfield County Wild. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.